HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Comté Cheese Association. Comté, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at comté-usa.com. That's C-O-M-T-E-USA.com. This week on Meet and 3, meet four of our HRN Hall of Fame inductees. These prolific individuals are writers who have changed the way we talk about food. We'll take a look at the journeys that shaped their literary voices. I was heading off into the unknown to spend my junior year of college in Paris. We'll explore the culinary landscape they work within. You know, it was that whole self-made American idea that you, you can just kind of create a new world from scratch, including a new way of eating. And look at the transformative effect that their work has on what we eat and where it comes from. It gets down to management deciding that humane handling is important. You've got to have management that cares. And if management doesn't care, then you're going to have a bunch of bad stuff. You can learn more about HRN's 10th Anniversary Hall of Fame at heritageradionetwork.org slash hall of fame. And don't forget to subscribe to Meet and 3 wherever you listen to podcasts. That's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Hello, and welcome to a special joint episode of Cutting the Curd and the Farm Report, two shows here on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Elena Santigade, host and producer of Cutting the Curd. And I'm Lisa Held, host and producer of The Farm Report. On today's show, Lisa and I will be co-hosting here in the HRN studio at Roberta's. Our guest today is Celeste Nolan of Laurel Valerie... Laurel Valley Creamery. That one got me. (laughs) Laurel Valley Creamery in Ohio. Celeste is a farmer and a cheesemaker. She and her husband bought their farm 15 years ago, and after struggling to make a living selling fluid milk, they introduced cheesemaking as a value-added product to grow and sustain the family farm. Celeste and her family will also be featured on the Point of View POV PBS broadcast debut of Farmsteaders by Shayna Mallett on September 2nd at 10 p.m. So watch out for that, listeners. And Celeste, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. We're so happy to have you. So I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Um, and where are you exactly? Yeah, like where in the I'm wonderful in- world of Ohio <laughs> are you located? I'm in Southeast Ohio in Gallia County. Um, 
Gallia County borders the Ohio River um, across from West Virginia um, in the southeast corner of the state. Perfect. Got it. So we thought that we would start with um, talking a little bit about the farm and the history. Um, I think from what I understand, it belonged to um, your husband's family originally. Is that right? Exactly. Um, My husband's grandparents bought the farm in 1947 after his papa got back from World War II. They moved themselves and their firstborn child here from Boone County, West Virginia, where they began dairy farming. They they farmed and made a living farming here from 47 until 1990 is when they quit dairy farming. Um, They retired from that into beef cattle, and then um, his grandfather was killed in a tractor accident in 1994 Mm. um, here on the property. We bought the property in... 2001 from his grandparents um, or from his grandmother and then started milking in 2005. Mm-hmm. Did, uh, and did the two of you have experience as farmers before that? I had no experience. I grew up in a rural area, but um, neither of my parents um, made their living from farming and it wasn't anything that, uh, yeah, anything that I really had any association with. <laughs> Nick, grew up here at the end of the road. Um, we have 110 acres here, and uh, our farmstead, um, I don't know, a quarter mile down the road is where he grew up at mm. his parents' house. Um, and so his experience was growing up here as the grandson of a dairy farmer. Mm. Um, yeah. But I imagine there... No, but no professional <laughs> experience. Right. So, so what was the learning curve like getting started? It was huge. Um, it was, I feel like, I don't know, I, a, a group of dairy cows is like a, you know, a group of women. <laughs> I, you know, I assume like like the, the general practitioner or the, you know, the people that come in contact with a, like a cross section of women, you know, like 17 to 50, they kind of, you know, they all present with the same problems. And I think, yeah, cows did that for us too. And it was like once you saw... Once you saw what was happening and what to expect and how to prevent it, um, it was. I mean, there was a learning curve, uh, but I don't. I feel like cows are kind of predictable. How many cows do you have yeah. on the farm, Celeste? On the farm, we have about forty-five cows. Um, we milk between twenty and thirty cows at a time, and then we raise replacements, and then have we milk year-round. So mm-hmm. at any one time, we have dry cows and fresh cows. Got it. And then different different groups of young stock. Got it. So you got into dairy farming at a time when it's a tough time to be a dairy farmer, right? (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Um, Especially one of your size. Absolutely. When we bought the farm, um, my husband worked as a project engineer for a big food conglomerate. Hmm. And uh, we were, you know, we hobby farmed. We we had some beef cattle. We sold some hay. Um, I had goats. Goats were my gateway animal. <laughs> did you make um, cheese with the goat's milk? I did, just like in a small scale in oh. my kitchen. Never anything, mm-hmm. um, not not near at the scale that I do now. Uh, but I did, yeah, I, I played with goat's milk. Um, but I didn't really, yeah. None, none of the things that I did in the kitchen translated to the cheese house, whether mm. it was with cow's milk or <laughs> or goat's milk. Would you say that about hobby yeah. farming in general, like just the stuff you guys were doing before 
I mean, to us New Yorkers, that sounds pretty dramatic. Like, oh, we just had a few beef cattle and some goats. Like, that's farming. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, you know, the difference, in my opinion, like, when it was hobby farming, I was still, like, I was still able, I had an emotional attachment to the animals more Mm. so than I have, like, a working relationship with them now. Mm. Um, We're both reliant on each other um, Hmm. in, yeah, in a very important way and I think I don't I don't think as hobby farmers I wasn't as reliant on them um I was more like I'll pay anything it takes just make this goat okay versus now like well it's not the best economic decision to put you know good money after bad if something you know that you know if you if you can predict the outcome you have to do a cost benefit on things in a different way Hmm, makes sense in a different way yeah so what made you decide to switch from hobby farming to making it really your business? Well, my husband lost his job. <laughs> That's was, often the, the a, precipice of something the, exciting. Right. <laughs> exciting, exactly. It was, uh, he, he had a paternity leave after our second child was born, and he went back and worked that week. And then they're like, yeah, here's your severance. Oh, Good yeah, luck to yeah. you. Yeah. And so then it was, and we had bought the farm recently. We had a mortgage. We had, you know, hmm. we had ties here. We had moved back to the area. Um, he has adult, well, they're adults now, but they were, um, my stepson and daughter mm-hmm. were, lived here in the area. It was like, he could have looked for another job, but we decided that we were going to stay here and make this work. It mm-hmm. had worked for his grandparents. We could do it too. <laughs> so after, uh, yeah, we, we, everybody that he knew tried to talk us out of it. <laughs> his grandparents, his parents. <laughs> really? Uh, they all told us, oh yeah, they told us what a terrible it was, idea it was. I went to a, we went to a few dairy farms in the area. They all said, oh yeah, you, y'all are silly. Wow. <laughs> what are you doing? Wow. A lot of people told us it was a bad idea. Hmm. And I mean, at, I mean, it was financially. We, right. we started out milking 20 cows. We milked up to, we bought up to 60 cows um, and we're milking them and it was just you know it was wasn't there was adding no up. It, it was not sustainable exactly mm. and it wasn't adding up um, and then when I had uh, my third this was so a few years later I had my third daughter we'd I don't know we had a second mortgage we'd max out the cards again <laughs> um, it was like a oh. I don't know do or die time and that's when um we got the money, and cheese making seemed like the best thing for us to do. There mm-hmm. was, uh, with fluid milk, you have to have a market, you know, the day you make it. Right, With right. cheese making, you have... Uh, you have some, some time to build it, there. right, yeah. Yeah, exactly, and it was also, it took, it took the least amount of capital. Hmm. Um, In terms of your, and, of your options for how to change things or right, grow the it, business? Exactly, hmm. um, or what we could do with the milk that we were... That were yeah how we how we could make it it seemed like it made the most amount of sense with the skill set that both my husband and I had or thought we had. <laughs> um, <laughs> Does that indicate yeah. that you've been humbled by the cheese making experience? <laughs> oh yeah, oh absolutely. Cheese is yeah, milk is very humbling. That's, mm. Talk it like cheese and teenagers are the two things that make you realize you have zero control. <laughs> yeah, I love. I don't think I've heard yeah. that comparison uh, before, but I have a feeling that we have a lot of listeners who are nodding their heads or like saying yes, <laughs> who are in yeah, the same that's, boat. Uh, 
that is my boat. And mm-hmm. it is, yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm. Everybody can jump in. We can sink it together. <laughs> no, it's, uh, yeah, teenagers and cheese have both been a challenge. So, Celeste, you mentioned that, you know, that was, that you had sort of looked at the options and cheese making was the most cost-effective way, cost-effective way to move forward. Was there like a final like do or die moment? Was there something that prompted you to take that plunge? What was, what was that moment like when you decided, okay, we're going to go for it? Well, I mean, it was, I was decided, decided when we were able to like secure the financing to do it. It mm. was, it was, uh, I think that option, and I think a lot of things happened um, when I had our third daughter, our third child. Mm-hmm. I spent, I had her premature, she was born prematurely. I spent some time away from the farm, mm-hmm. um, and my husband and stepson were doing the day to day milking. My mother in law was caring for our two other young children. Wow. And I think during that time is when everybody. Uh, yeah, I guess they decided it while I was at the hospital. <laughs> That's what I like to tell myself. Welcome home they with got, the baby. Back and they're like, oh, yeah, here, start making cheese. We're going to start making cheese. You got this? So start buying some equipment. We got it. So, and that's ha- pretty well what we did. Interesting. How has, what, what did you expect from cheese making and how has it gone? I. I like to manage my expectations. So, mm-hmm. I mean, cheese making has gone fine. I've learned so many things, um, you know, about, well, about milk, about myself, about um, business, about, um, yeah. I, I don't I don't even know that I can list all the things that I've learned. I've learned a lot of things. And there's, I've, I describe myself, or my husband keeps telling me to describe myself as self-taught. <laughs> and so I've, I've learned more from my mistakes than I have my successes. Yeah. Well, I think that Uh, that's also how I learned, uh, in my own little, very, very small compared with your cheese making sort of explorations. But I think it's almost, for me, at least it was a stronger way to learn. It was like, once you see how something can go badly, you understand the thing better. I feel Mm. like. Yeah. Yeah. And, and where, if if you've got any control where it's at and where mm-hmm. you got to where you have to capture it <laughs> right and if you have if you're if you have enough time to figure out that trial and error to get a few good batches going then then right. then it really right. works so did you take right. any cheese making classes at all or was it really sort of studying getting advice or how did you learn in the beginning well in the be- I I got our life we got our license in September mm-hmm. and I made I made consistently bad cheese until I took Peter Dixon's class uh-huh. in November. <laughs> and then I learned I learned a lot there and I feel like I learned more there because I had the few months of hmm. mistakes under my belt or, you know, experience yeah, like under my belt. You knew how it looked and felt probably at least yeah. more than if you'd just walked in before even trying, I'm sure. Right. And I knew I feel like I knew questions to ask that applied to my situation or applied to my, yeah, Mm. to my equipment, so to speak. And, uh, no, I learned a lot from that class. And, uh, and I still, I I still mess up batches of cheese seasonally. Uh, Everybody does. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, but I've, I've, I'm definitely a work in progress, but I've, I've, it's nice to be able to take, well, to take milk, which 
as a commodity doesn't have any value mm-hmm. and to do something uh, I don't know that people seem to really value and appreciate and I also can mostly pay my bills with it hmm. um, who's Peter Dixon you you, oh. you know I think farm report listeners you guys oh. I, like I can see Elena shaking her head like yeah of course yeah. and I'm like I don't know who that is we gotta we gotta tell yeah. farm report That's listeners true. we have to explain the, the you know how to explain who is Peter Dixon well um, Celeste, do you want to? Do you no, want to? I think I think you should do it. I think you'll do a <laughs> well, <job. laughs> Peter is a, a just like a storied cheesemaker. I mean, um, he and his uh, wife Rachel now make cheese um, at Parish Hill Creamery is the mm-hmm. name of their creamery. And Peter has been involved in cheese education in Vermont for decades, and also has consulted with a lot of cheesemakers as they've learned he he hosts classes himself and you know Celeste you're you know you're one of you're one of the class of people who are part of this Peter Dixon incubator and you know they really a lot of people have gone on to have great success after taking his classes or working with him um and he just does really really interesting projects we'll add some uh links to we've done shows Mm. with him on cutting the curd so for for farm report listeners maybe we could add those into the show notes perfect yeah Um, and you didn't tell us what kind of cheese you're making. Yes, we're very curious. So I make fresh and raw milk cheeses. Um, I, it feels like it's summertime. All I'm doing is making fresh cheeses. Mm, so I do. Yeah. we do some fresh cheddar curds. We do fresh mozzarella. Mm. I make a soft cheese called Cloverton. Uh, it's a lactic curd cheese. And then I consistently make one we call Country Jack, which is a aged, uh, it's a, Monterey Jack style cheese and some uh, an Alpine style aged oh, nice. raw milk cheese. Yeah, those are the the core. I'll start making some pepper jack here just as soon as milk volume allows it. And I do that a couple seasonal cheeses as well. That's uh, really fun. And how do you yeah. you know, you mentioned that you've learned a lot about business. How do you get these cheeses out into the market? Are you um, building more of like a local distribution customer base or how has that side of things gone for you as you've been making cheese? That's That's been an evolution, I guess, as well. But we self-distribute all of our cheeses. Um, we do all... We sell most everything within 100 miles of the farm. We do uh, a farmer's market, a regional farmer's market, the Athens Farmer's Market in southeastern Ohio, um, and then sell to restaurants and small, well, I mean, yeah, small or independently owned restaurants and stores, I don't know, within the within the 100 miles. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, we self-distribute all of our products and wow I don't know that's a lot yeah but we hustle <laughs> yes oh, dear. Oh. I think it's uh, time for a quick break um, we'll be back in just a moment with more from Celeste Nolan of Laurel Valley Creamery This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Conte Cheese Association. Conte Cheese Association represents the Conte PDO, Conte Protected Designation of Origin in the USA. Conte is a raw milk cooked pressed cheese from the Jura Mountains of France. 
There, every day, 2,500 family farms deliver milk to over 150 local cheesemaking facilities, or fruitiers. This milk must be transformed into comté within 24 hours of milking to preserve the lactic microflora in the milk, ensuring the cheese's aromatic potential. About 105 gallons of milk are required to craft a single wheel of comté. Comté takes time to acquire its flavors in the affinage cellars. After eight months of aging by dedicated affineurs on average, each wheel of comté is graded and shipped to market. No wheel of comté is the same. Its flavors speak to the pastures where the cows grazed, the season in which it was made, the particular craftsmanship of the cheesemaker, and the time spent in the aging cellar. Therefore, every wheel of Conte is unique. Learn more about Conte, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at Conte-USA.com. That's C-O-M-T-E-U-S-A dot com. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. I'm Patrick Martins. I'm Brandon Hoy. And I'm Emily Pearson. Together we host The Main Course OG, where we cover food news and culture. Browse episodes of The Main Course OG wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Opening team there. No way. All right, welcome back to this special episode <laughs> of Cutting the Curd and the Farm Report. I'm Lisa Held. And I'm Elena Santigade. And you heard us doing some chatting there here in the <laughs> studio. We were saying we we're used to being in here alone. So it's amazing to, you know, be here and then with Celeste on the phone. It's like we're having a little party today. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> um, Very exciting. Yeah. So before the break, Celeste, we were talking a lot about um, all of the the many, many things you're doing, um, Amazing. running the farm, making the cheese, running, selling it all yourself. Um, it, it just seems like a lot. Um, not so, to mention raising three children, right? Raising <laughs> children. Um, so how, well, there's, sorry, go ahead. There's four children and oh, then four my children. husband, four children. And then, but my husband and part partner, like we do all of this yeah. together. Right. There's yeah. There's well, absolutely no way that I could do all the things that you listed. Well, right, and that's what alone. Gonna, that's what I was going to yeah. ask: is do you have sort of a division of labor? Like, do do you focus on one thing and Nick focuses on something else, or like how do you split things up and manage all those different responsibilities? Well, we do. We um, there's definitely some crossover, but Nick definitely manages the farm. He um, he milks twice a day. He puts up all of the hay, does all the crop work, does all the you know he does. Yeah, he does all of that with the help of our two teenage sons, mm-hmm. which is is a great deal of help, and it's, you know, a great deal of teenage sons. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then um, he also does, manages our Athens. We, like, we're kind of split up where we have three delivery areas, um, mm. two of them that are about 50 miles away, and then another that's 100, and we kind of, he does one 50 miles away, I do the one the 100 miles away, and then we both do, or our, our, or our employee does the other 50 mile away one. Mm. Um, so we kind of split up there. Um, How often are then, you making those deliveries? Weekly. Okay. Um, yeah, we go to all three locations once a week mm. and make deliveries. Um, and there, yeah, and the you know the days that are sh- 
shorter are also the days we do the farmer's market. So it's, you know, each, really each one is a full day's work um, that we do in between cheese making. That's or like Nick does the Saturday markets and that's the day a week that I milk. Um, mm. You know, so it's, yeah, we have some crossover there, but, and we all work together. It's, you know, it's, it's division of labor, but I, you know, none of it's possible without the other. Right. And, and also the benefit of having a husband and two teenagers is I, I never have to do anything that's gross or far, that's, <laughs> yeah, the farm related gross stuff has been, um, delegated. That's great. And so, which is, it is great. <laughs> Wait, so like, what's an example of something really gross on your farm that yeah. you don't have to do? Tell us about one gross thing that you're happy that you're not doing right now. Well, I'm shoveling shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Farmer. Yeah. Yeah. And so I I haven't, I haven't labs lance and abscess in a long time. Um, Mm. You know, like, yeah, I, the the stinkier (laughs) stuff I can kind of avoid. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't castrate pigs anymore. Uh That's good. Congratulations, Celeste. I know. (laughs) Thank you. That's like the equivalent. It's like the farm equivalent of getting a promotion. It's like, I don't castrate pigs anymore. (laughs) I don't close the shop anymore. (laughs) Right. Right. I love it. Right. You know, one question that I had that just came up listening to you describe all of this, you know, I'm realizing that before you bought the farm, you know, you, you mentioned your husband's job. It sounded like, sounded like you didn't work together. But now your your work and home lives are completely intertwined and overlapping. Is there anything about that dynamic that was particularly either something that was really tricky to adapt to or something that kind of surprised you and how easy it was with working together and living together in this mm-hmm. new setting? Yeah, that's that's a great question i um no it's still tricky mm. you know we're i yeah we're how i that's what i i did the math the other day we ship milk uh the day after my 27th birthday wow. and i've been self-employed since i was 27 um and i can't i don't even know what it would be like to work with anybody else it doesn't even <laughs> feel it feels like it was like a lifetime ago that mm-hmm. you know everybody that i work with i'm related to or i yeah, you know, like I deal with them not not just as a four hour or eight hour shift. Mm-hmm. Everything is, yeah, everything is twenty four hours. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's not a there's not a break in it, and that it's tricky. It's um, it, you know, it all the highs and all the lows. I think it's you get every bit of it that I don't know mm-hmm. that you would get in the in the eight hour or the 10 or 12 hour work day. Hmm. Um, there's no, yeah, we, sort of we all see all sides of each other. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Was that something you wanted? Is, Sorry. Was that something you no. wanted in, you know, that, that you had thought about in life was like having a family business of some kind. Had you ever imagined that before? No, I hadn't really imagined it. And I don't think until you see, you know, the effects of milking every day, twice a day. I see the effects of that on my husband and on my sons and Mm. on the, the effect of, you know, working together and not dairy isn't, it's not a job. It's like, it's a lifestyle. It's a, Mm. you know, we're, uh, we don't ever leave or separate ourselves from the farm. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, it's every 12 hours, someone's got to be here to milk. And it's, I didn't, and then also it's like, you know, people work at home or work with their kids, but it's like, I, re- I rely on my kids. Right, I rely right. on them to help us milk, 
to huh. make a living. And it's, it's tricky to balance all of it yeah. and to, you know, to still... The, the parenting part of it is a whole the whole new ball game like every yeah. yeah yeah there's like a different level of consequence when there's friction I'm sure you know it's like it yeah. affects so yeah. much more than everyone's mood or the dinner table you know right right it's like oh we're yeah we're gonna all be mad at each other and then we're gonna go work in this barn together for two hours or we're <laughs> all gonna sounds you know, healthy yeah I'm sure you can't you can't get away yeah. from it right yeah Better oh no than- there's no yeah Better than locking yourself in the bedroom. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, there's still a few hours left for that. Too. <laughs> they are teenagers. It, it might be it might be too early to know, but I'm curious if you think that your your kids will continue on and take over the family business at some point um, and, you know, be sort of the next generation of farmers. Yeah, I would. I would love that, but I also I want them to I want them to have some quality of life. Mm-hmm. I want them um, I want there to be a, them to have some I don't know work life balance if yeah. that's a thing. Um, and I I my goal or my ideal is to have you know the farm in some way that they can take over that's more sustainable than the way that I'm mm. currently doing it. Yeah. Um, and and if I can work out some of those bugs and get it into a place. Mm-hmm. Um, that I, that more than one of them or, you know, that they can take over and be successful at, but be, do it, do it better. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. a great goal. That's, that's what, yeah, that's what I want to do. It's also, it's a goal that many guests on, on Cutting the Curd have had, had, either have currently have had and have actually achieved mm-hmm. or are aiming toward, you know, I feel like it's a totally achievable goal. Like as, as wild as it sounds, I mean, especially given like, it sounds like you walked into something so new to it. It was this one thing, the dairy farming piece, and then to already have sort of transformed the business is a pretty big deal. Yeah, it, it is. And I, you know, it's, some days you have to like remind yourself of that more than others yeah. As to, yeah yeah as to look at the accomplishments versus the challenges right yeah yeah what do you think of a- after going through all of that um you know we on the farm report we've done a lot of shows on dairy farmers who are struggling and um you know what pathways there are for making farms more profitable um what do you think of this Route like for other dairy farmers who are trying to figure out what to do and how to sell their milk, like would you recommend this path, like you know, going to cheese making or some sort of value added product? I, I don't, I, I, I don't know how to answer that question consistently. <laughs> I, um, I, there's no way that we could have done this for the past ten years without doing what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Is it sustainable for the next twenty years? I don't know. Mm-hmm. And is it the way to break or to fix the food system? I don't. Yeah. I don't think that's the case either. You know, like right. I don't know how to to replicate this on a scale. Like I, I take cheese to to kitchens across cities, and I take and I go and walk ins, and I see, and I see how much cheese they're buying. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I see the shelves of cheese, and which percent of it's mine? Mm-hmm. Where I'm at, like how much I can make how much, you know, we're limited by how much land we have and how many cows we're milking and all of those things. I know how much I can make and sell, Mm -hmm. but I see it, what percentage of this is, you know, I don't know. I don't Mm -hmm. know how, but then I also look around in my rural community and I see 
empty dairy farm after empty mm-hmm. dairy farm after empty dairy farm mm-hmm. and and I hear people talk about how, you know, they were, it was a sustainable, it was a viable thing. So many people raised their families doing that here. Right. What's, what's changed? One so, question I have is on, about that local community. Have you found any other, you know, che- potential cheesemakers or new cheesemakers or people who are considering that same route in the community? And I, I'm asking more from a distribution sort of idea or perspective. I know that some farmers in the, some cheesemaker, farmstead cheesemakers in the Midwest have found success with that kind of consolidating cheese and building basically a community of cheesemaking farmers who are making it work that way. Have you, do you yeah. have a community like that in any close assemblage? We don't. Um, there's, you know, there's, in northern Ohio, there's uh, some cooperatives, some you know, some people making cheese on a larger scale than us, but they're still just buying. From my understanding, they just buy commodity milk. Mm-hmm. Um, we also there's some there's a small independent fluid processor near us um, that pays a premium for milk, mm. um, and that's been you know they've had they've struggled and succeeded mm. just like. You know, just like anybody does, right. I feel like, um, you know, especially on I, small scales, you face different challenges. Um, but I, as far as no, there's not anybody, there's not currently, there's just, there's loads and loads of empty dairy farms mm. and, and, and it, and what we've worked on and what we've concentrated on the past 10 years is where we're at now, but the way that yeah, I could see my kids or my family or anybody else taking it. I don't, yeah, as I, I, I think people, I hope, I think people would milk cows if they could make a living doing it. They did it for a long time. Why yeah. wouldn't they still do it? Right. You know, it's just, yeah, right. it's the, just the scale money and part has changed. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's, you can't, you can't do things for free or, or at a loss for only so long. And that's what the dairy industry is, you know, faced right. for. But that's what the dairies industry's faced for, you know, 40 years, 50 yeah, years. How right. do we, yeah. I don't know how to fix that. Yeah, it's so true. Well, you're doing your part and you're <laughs> milking your cows and making good cheese. And, um, you know, it's, uh, yeah. yeah, it's, I don't think anyone quite has figured out exactly how to fix, yeah, you know, there's so many moving parts. It's really interesting. I right. think also like, um, sort of agritourism has become something that people bring up on the on air with me a lot is like new ways to bring people to the farm to also it's sort of like uh, fulfills two goals it's like a, a sort of revenue stream but mm. also a way I think one of the missing pieces is how little people sometimes realize about what a farm life is really like and what goes into it and when you're deciding to have grass-fed cows or to make raw milk cheese like what does that mean for how you you know run your farm and operate your dairy and um i'm excited because i think your episode of farmsteaders is going to really highlight that about what you're doing at laurel valley yeah i hope yeah i hope that that i don't know is 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 a way that people can connect to to not just our family but Mm -hmm. you know as a reflection of people doing the same thing across the country Mm mm-hmm or across the world. Right. And 
maybe listeners of the Farm Report and Cutting the Curd, if anybody's looking to go venture out to Southeast Ohio, it looks like there's some land. Yeah. We could have first generation farmers adding to this community. I think for those who are tired of their desk jobs, I mean, that's the biggest complaint we hear here in the city. Just go for it. Right. <laughs> Try yeah. it. You yeah. Know? Wow. Exactly. It's, I, that's yeah. That's all we can do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, like milking cows that first uh, winter that we did it. It was a real like oh, <laughs> you really oh, you you can do something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was it was a big challenge and and it was one you had to face twice every day. Yeah. Uh, How yeah, long was, would you say it took you to get used to the rhythm of that? Oh, I don't think I'm still not used to this. Really? <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> um, well, I got so far out of it. You know, that's when the kids were little, when I had the second two. I wasn't, after I had my second, mm-hmm. my third child, I didn't milk every day. Mm. It was, you know, my stepson was there and my husband, and then my boys were older, and, it, and then I started making cheese, and it just has been. So my my day-to-day is is very different on that that aspect it's mm. you know i don't cheese making isn't something that i have to do every part of it every day right uh, yeah I cheese making is this. like you do a little thing and then you let it be then you do yeah. something else and then you let it be right mm. and it's and you try to be productive between those let it be's mm-hmm. uh and sometimes i don't know i'm more successful at that than others <laughs> aren't we all <laughs> right <laughs> It's amazing what I think I can accomplish in the half hour between two other things. And then somehow what actually happens. Yeah. Somehow it's like, Oh wait, what happened? It's already been 18 minutes. (laughs) Well, that is a universal Uh, experience. Rural or urban doesn't matter. Definitely. Um, well, Celeste, I think we have to wrap up. Um, thank you for sharing your, all of your accomplishments and, um, successes and challenges with us today on the air. Yeah, this well, thanks is... for yeah asking me questions and letting me talk about myself. It was it was lovely. No, it's really interesting, and I think so many of the listeners of both of our shows are are curious about the rural farming life, are concerned with it, want to support it, want to understand more about what it's like. So we really appreciate you just opening that up and. Also on Good, no. on your episode of Farmsteaders, it seems you know it seems like you really opened up to the filmmaker, and it's a really intimate portrait, and um, we can't wait to see it. Definitely, yeah. I, I I hope that you all watch and enjoy it, and uh, yeah, and and realize it is it's a very accurate and intimate depiction of mm-hmm. yeah of life here. And listeners, that, that's going to be airing on September 2nd at 10 p.m. on PBS. Again, it's called Farmsteaders, and it's part of the POV PBS series, which is a really interesting series in and of itself. That's like something for a whole other show because there's a lot of good stuff there. But, well, thanks again, uh, Celeste. Thank you. Thank you. Listeners, we hope you enjoyed this special co-hosted show. I know I had fun. What about you, Lisa? awesome. I love it. (laughs) Please keep the conversation going with both of us on Twitter or Instagram. I'm at Cutting the Curd, and email is cuttingthecurd at heritageradionetwork.org. And you can follow The Farm Report on Instagram or subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'll be back next week with a timely episode on the current threat of 100% tariffs on cheeses imported from the European Union. 
And I'll be finishing out the Farm Report summer season with Chris Starkus, a farmer and chef visiting from Denver, Colorado. See you then. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.